Welcome to McKnight's Home Care Newsmakers podcast, where we share the latest information and views from industry leaders. Hello, this is Diane Estabrook, staff writer for McKnight's Home Care Daily. In 2022, private equity investments in healthcare were the second highest on record behind 2021, with home healthcare and hospice being in the top 15 subsectors. This is according to the Private Equity Stakeholder Project. Of the 628 total healthcare deals last year, home health and hospice accounted for 37 deals. I recently talked to Mary Bugby, healthcare research and campaign coordinator with the Private Equity Stakeholder Project, and Eileen O'Grady, the project's healthcare director. I started our conversation asking them what is driving private equity's insatiable appetite for healthcare assets. So health is a really attractive space for private equity. It has this reputation of being re- uh, recession resilient or recession resistant because there's always going to be demand for healthcare services. Um, on top of that, we have an aging population in the U.S. and a really high chronic disease burden. So that also just increases demand even further. And then in addition to demand, there's a lot of Um, subsectors within healthcare that are fragmented, which means they're ripe for consolidation. So this attracts private equity investors who often have the goal of rolling up these smaller companies into bigger powerhouse companies that they can then take public or sell to another private equity firm or group of investors. Great. You pointed out that we, in your report, that you saw significant growth in home care in 2018 and 2019, comprising about 50% of all deals. Um, You also saw significant PE growth in hospice dating back almost a decade. What has been behind that growth? Is it demographics or is it something else, Mary? It's definitely um, related to demographics primarily. So, Like I mentioned before, we have an aging population. So um, the baby boomer generation, um, they're getting to that age where they need, you know, more healthcare support and care. And, you know, there's just a bigger need for hospice services and for home care services. Also, there has been a movement um, or a desire to bring more care into the home. Um, A lot of medical professionals have been advocating for that for a long time. Um, So that also drives some of the demand. And then again, these industries um, have historically been fragmented. And so private equity has identified opportunities to come in and consolidate and be able to sell off um, these consolidated assets later on down the line um, for a big profit. What specifically might they be looking at when you say, say selling at a, at a profit down the road? We, you know, we're starting to see um, unusual people coming into this space. We're seeing um, pairs enter the home health and hospice space, or at least the home health space. Um, We're seeing some other big companies like Amazon getting into the space. Is that one of their potential outlets to sell to down the road? Is that, are they thinking in that term? Yeah. So their, their goal is to generate like an outsized return, like, you know, 25% over a short time period. So three to seven years, although we've been finding that, you know, sometimes they're holding on to investments a bit longer than that. And the idea is to either take the company public at the end of the time for like a much like a huge profit compared to what they started uh, or to sell like via secondary buyouts to other private equity firms. But the idea is to build and grow and then, you know, 
to have the company valued at a much higher higher rate and then make a buck then so it's just it's about buying and building up and then selling off to other investors or um you know taking it public you've said that there's been some health there's been some concern about private equity entering the healthcare space what are those concerns so because of private equities um you know, profit-seeking model, so generating outsized returns over short time periods, this can create like misaligned incentives with patient care. And it's different than just regular for-profit companies because private equity companies tend to be saddled with a lot of debt. So these companies are purchased through leveraged buyouts, which places a lot of debt on the portfolio company that the PE firm is not necessarily liable for. Um, And some of these companies also you know, down the line after their acquisition will put more debt onto the company or have the company take out more debt to pay themselves, you know, debt funded dividends. So these companies tend to have, you know, higher debt obligations, which, you know, that can eat into money that could go into operations, um, you know, capital improvements, things like that. So between the debt service obligations and, you know, the desire to to generate these outsized returns over a short time period, um, they have to find ways to cut costs and grow revenues. And there's not a lot of ways you can do that in healthcare without impacting patient care. So we've seen a lot of examples of, um, you know, skimping on supplies and medical equipment, um, overburdening clinicians with workloads that are unsustainable and impact quality of patient care, um, failing to maintain healthcare facilities, um, and, you know, sometimes also reducing workforces, so mass layoffs. Um, so there's a lot of different ways to cut costs. They all will impact patient care in some way. Are there any specific concerns that relate specifically to home health and hospice? Yeah, absolutely. So in home health um, and hospice, we've seen, you know, a lot of these typical strategies playing out. So in terms of labor issues, we've found that, you know, there's sometimes examples of wage theft, so not paying workers for the time it takes them to drive between clients' homes, um, trying to make workers into 1099 contractors versus like full, you know, full-time employees with benefits, Um, you know, giving people unsustainable um, caseloads or, you know, not sending or understaffing, not sending enough workers to clients who need them. Um, so that's that's one strategy. And hospice in particular, because of the payment model, it provides a lot of latitude for how you can um, you know, maximize your revenue. So you're generally speaking, Medicare pays like the same rate per patient per day. And that means, you know, some of these companies will choose to instead of sending, you know, registered nurses, they'll send over LPNs or home health aides, like people with fewer, less qualifications who can do the work for a lot um, cheaper. So that's not necessarily a bad thing. There's definitely certain aspects of care where you don't need a registered nurse to do. But overall, they're just shifting more and more work to less certified workers and they don't have enough like registered nurses or other other healthcare professionals supervising some of this work. And that can result in, you know, medical errors and then just understaffing in general. So 
you know, not sending someone, um, you know, help when they need it and they can make money by doing, making that decision, but that can impact the, the quality of patient care. So we've seen that in hospice and then generally speaking with home health and, and hospice, we've also found Medicare fraud examples for a few companies where it's really difficult to eke out as much money as you can from government payers without crossing the line into fraud. So sometimes these companies do cross the line into into fraud and we've seen um, that as a way that they've tried to generate revenues and occasionally the Department of Justice will, you know, go after these companies and there have been a number of, of settlements to resolve allegations around billing fraud for both home care and um, hospice companies. We've started to see labor unions moving a little bit more aggressively into this space, um, maybe more on the personal care side. But, you know, we are seeing unionization, especially around nurses in that. Are they having any impact on the movements or the activities of private equity? Um, I can't say for certain, but speaking generally, um, you know, Increasing union density and like the home healthcare and hospice space is probably a good thing because it provides another check and like balance um, for you know the worst abuses that these private equity backed companies might be might be doing. Um, but yeah, I can't say for certain how much is changing um, right now. I don't know, Eileen, if you if you have any more insight into that. I mean, I think like one of the sort of biggest complaints of investors in in the healthcare space more broadly is rising labor costs. Uh, and if you consider the fact that home healthcare workers are among the lowest paid workers in the country, many of them are women, many of them are immigrants. I think that the entrance or increased presence of unions in the industry would, you know, ideally drive up wages, which is not an attractive feature to, you know, investors like private equity firms. And so I think it might be, you know, potentially overstating the impact of of growing union presence in home health and hospice to say this would, you know, dissuade uh, investors from buying up those companies. But I'm I'm sure that it it's a factor when they're talking about increasing labor costs in the space. Gotcha. Let's talk a little bit first about um, hospice. And, you know, there's been huge growth in this sector, as we mentioned earlier. Um, and there's also been some bad actors. It's been courting controversy recently. Um, some of these uh, companies have brought in patients who did not qualify for hospice. CMS also released some new guidance regarding hospice surveys. Do you see this I mean, is this a symptom of private equity and is this additional scrutiny, do you suspect, going to perhaps discourage private equity from getting into hospice further? So um, what you're what you're speaking about, um, you know, these examples of, you know, hospice companies that have been found to be enrolling ineligible patients for hospice care. Um, I believe it was like a government accountability um, investigation that 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 found that and it's not just private equity backed companies but also for-profit companies in general but overall because of private equity's business model any kind of problems you see with for-profit companies in the hospice space are going to be amplified with the private equity business model because you know there's 
greater debt on these companies, um, greater pressures to, um, you know, generate these outsized returns. And it's hard to say, I can't say, like, if private equity sort of invented this sort of uh, business model, you know, enrolling patients that aren't necessarily, um, you know, ready for hospice. But there's certainly evidence that many private equity-backed hospice companies have engaged in this practice, um, in addition to just regular for-profit companies. In terms of scrutiny, um, deterring investment, there's a lot of scrutiny in the healthcare arena around private equity investments. Uh, I don't see it necessarily deterring um, private equity investors anytime soon. I think for there to be a deterrent, there would have to be um, laws and regulations with teeth um, that could really impact their bottom line. And right now, just having people looking at them, but not necessarily any repercussions, um, I don't see how that would be a big deterrent. Let's pivot for the moment um, to home health. Um, and that sector is one that has come under increased financial pressure with lower Medicaid reimbursements um, and behavioral health cuts. Is that a potential entry point for private equity? Because um, you might see because of these lower rates, some agencies wanting to get out of the industry, or on the other hand, would that be something with these lower rates that it would discourage potentially private equity investment? Yeah, it's hard to say. Um... I think that these lower rates um, may have the potential to deter some new investment activity in the near term, but it's also possible that large providers that have already been rolled up by private equity firms are going to be able to um, cuts or lower rates better than, say, smaller not-for-profit agencies. So these lower reimbursement rates could have the unintended effect of driving further consolidation by PE firms and kind of hurting the little guy. Um, and yeah, because the demand in these spaces in home health especially is so high, um, you know, I think that it's going to continue to attract investors, even if these rates aren't, you know, what they were a year ago or two years ago. And, you know, it's also important to note that even with the payment cuts, having a disproportionate amount of patients that are covered by government payers, um, such as it, such as is the case with home health and hospice, it can be a net positive because it's this guaranteed, predictable stream of money. And you know, private equity-backed companies have a lot of cost-cutting strategies in their toolkit that they they know how to deploy um, in response to like Medicare cuts. Um, but it is a double-edged sword, um, having a disproportionate amount of your revenues coming from Medicare. There's not a lot of ways to eke out extra money, like I mentioned before, without kind of crossing into that Medicare um, fraud area. So it's it, it could create a different climate around investment or slow down investment, but the demand is so high in the space, um, and there is still this drive to consolidate I don't see it slowing down private equity investment um, in a major way. You alluded just before this last question about potential regulate, you know, regulations or Washington take a close taking a closer look at private equity as it relates to healthcare. Um, what should be going on? Um, is this something that the regulators should be doing, or is this something that Congress needs to weigh in on? Um, so I think 
both. So there are some laws in place. So for example, um, you know, antitrust enforcement, there's already antitrust laws and those can be enforced. Um, but, you know, ideally we'd like to see um, stronger legislation that holds private equity owners, especially more accountable for these investments. Um, and this doesn't have to necessarily happen at the federal level, at the state level, there's a lot of things that can be done. So for example, increasing transparency and accountability around change of ownership um, transactions for like hospice and home health agencies and, you know, other healthcare service providers. Um, we're proponents of, you know, having joint liability for portfolio portfolio companies and their PE owners. So right now, for example, um, when there's like a Medicare fraud case, sometimes it's just the portfolio company that has to pay out that settlement. But, you know, we think that the investors should also, you know, have joint liability for anything that's going on. I think we, it's important too, to limit these extractive practices that saddle portfolio companies with debt. So limiting dividend recapitalization. So taking out debt on the company to pay the investors at the expense of the company, limiting that practice, potentially limiting the amount of debt that can be put on companies during an acquisition. And yeah, just, we need better labor standards too for this space. So especially in home healthcare, having stronger protections for workers to prevent things like wage theft and to punish things like wage theft much more um, seriously. Eileen, do you want to weigh in on, on potential policy, policy recommendations? Yeah, I think so the Biden administration just announced a proposed rule for nursing home ownership transparency requirements that would enforce a part of the Affordable Care Act that sort of never went into effect that would require nursing homes to disclose ownership and as well as sort of related parties involved in clinical and administrative operations at nursing facilities. We would advocate for something like that for home health and hospice agencies as well. So requiring disclosure to CMS of all ownership entities and notifying the agency where there is private equity or other kind of investor ownership. And I think, you know, similar to what Mary said about limiting the more aggressive financial policies by private equity firms, so placing limits on, on debt-funded dividends, on fees paid by a home health agency to a private equity firm, I think those could work well as as conditions for participation in Medicare. So this is something that I think, you know, could occur through rulemaking or through legislation that would basically sort of codify limits on really like not private equity ownership outright, but rather the most aggressive financial tactics that private equity firms use that can be harmful um, trickling down to patient care. And then I would also just echo labor protections, I think, are critical in this space, especially given sort of how low wages are, sort of who are the populations that are that are doing these jobs. It is essential that these workers have the right to organize um, free from intimidation and harassment and be able to protect themselves from the, the extractive policies that can trickle down to workers and then, uh, of course, to patients.
You talked a lot about transparency. It sounds like consumers often when they're getting services from a home health firm or a hospice may not know who owns it. Is that correct? Yeah, it's it can be pretty tricky to f- figure out who the owners of of companies are and I know the Biden administration recently released ownership data for hospitals. Um but it's imperfect. It's still, you still have to open up this spreadsheet and it's not very clear. So there's a long way to go um, in terms of transparency around ownership. And hopefully at some point we can have like a better way for people to just know like who owns this company that, you know, I would like to hire to take care of my mother who's in hospice, for example. Mary Bugby, Eileen O'Grady. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much, Diane. Thank you for listening to McKnight's Home Care Newsmakers podcast. For the latest in home care news, visit McKnight'sHomeCare.com.